Greetings, I'm Will Tompkins, and this is the Narrow Way Podcast. This series of episodes is our study of John Bunyan's timeless book, The Pilgrim's Progress, Part 2, Christiana's Story. Links to our source text will be found in the description field of the first episode in this series. In this episode, we'll be discussing Christiana and Mercy's Supper with the interpreter. But first, a moment of prayer. Almighty God, glory and honor to you. Grateful and humbled are we for your presence here with us and for your indwelling Holy Spirit. As we come together now for this lesson, may the words from my mouth reflect your truth. And may those hearing these words have the ears to hear. And Father, may we hold ever steady the shepherd's perspective glass and have the eyes to see the gates of your glorious city. Strengthen us, embolden us, and prepare us, Father. For while these are indeed dark times, they are nevertheless times for sowing. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as a brief review, you will recall that after much instruction, The interpreter took our band of pilgrims back to his garden to show them a tree. Now the inside of this tree had rotted and was all but gone, and yet it had grown and still had leaves. Mercy did ask, what does this mean, a tree fair on the outside and rotten on the inside? Now the interpreter answers that this represents many who are in the garden of God. They speak glowingly of him but do nothing for him. They all want to sit at his table, but they won't work in his fields. Their heart, he says, is good for nothing but tinder, tinder for the devil's tinderbox. These are like ignorance and talkative and others from part one. Oh, loved ones, let us keep a close eye on our own hearts, lest we find ourselves in that same tinderbox. Now let's pick up our story at the interpreter's house. So as the day's lessons draw to a close and supper is ready, our band of pilgrims gather around the interpreter's table where they first give thanks to God for all their many blessings. And as is his custom, the interpreter entertains his guest with minstrel music while they eat. Isn't this an inspiring picture? The entire family around the table at supper with sweet music extolling God's gifts and grace. No screens, no earbuds, no distractions. Just reflections on God and their good fortune to be in His grace. This in itself is a most powerful and yet depressing lesson, isn't it, loved ones? That in today's world, Satan and his minions have reduced so many of God's families to be reflections of this world, rather than of Almighty God. Well, now the interpreter asks Christiana a question that we should all be ready to answer. What was it that first moved her to take up the pilgrim's life? She answers that it was first her grief over the loss of her husband, Christian. 
And here, of course, she's referring to his worldly death. And then the mean-spirited way she treated him concerning his troubles and his pilgrimage. And of course, there was the dream depicting how well her husband was doing in the king's country. And finally, the letter asking her to come, to become a person of the pilgrimage. The interpreter wants to know if there had been any opposition to going on the pilgrimage. And to that, she answers yes and tells him of Mrs. Timorous. You will recall that one Mr. Timorous and Mr. Mistrust were the cowards who turned off the way at the sight of the lions at the entrance to House Beautiful, having not the faith to know that the lions were chained. And, of course, there was her dream of the two ill-favored ones plotting to keep her, by whatever means, from going on pilgrimage. Ultimately, as you know, that dream turned out to be rather prophetic, didn't it? For they are the very ones who attacked both she and Mercy, compelling them to yell, murder, murder. She confides all of this had made her quite fearful of everyone she meets, worried they will do her harm. In response to all of this, the interpreter says, Thy beginning is good, thy latter end shall greatly increase. Now, if all that describes a good beginning, then what do you suppose the interpreter is telling her? that she had handled these trials and tribulations well, but they will continue, and indeed they will be ever more difficult. But his words also send the unmistakable message that her perseverance has been nourished, not weakened. And isn't that the very purpose of trials, loved ones? As Paul instructs us in Romans 5, 1 through 5, he writes, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Amen. Now the interpreter puts the same question to mercy. And what moved thee to come hither, sweetheart? And at this mercy blushed and trembled and remained silent. Why? Because she's young and innocent and not knowing the ways of the pilgrim. Then in the most soothing way, he says, Don't be afraid. Just believe and speak what's on your mind. And so she confesses that her lack of experience in knowing the truth that is the word convinces her that silence is, at least for now, a far better choice than talking. There is also her fear of falling short of the mark, that she will be left behind do you sense the depth of her humility here? Now, you may remember the preacher in the movie called Left Behind, who was, in fact, left behind. And when that happened, he realized that what he taught others didn't line up with his own life. Indeed, he characterized himself as a fraud. The point is this. Knowing and believing are two different things. 
Mercy may not know much at this point, but her faith and her conviction are being drawn out through Christiana's witness. In other words, she's being drawn rather than driven. Here's a question, loved ones. Is our life, our actions, our living testimony such that it will draw others towards God, towards our King? Or are we like the preacher in the movie, living a life of knowledge but with little or no faith, the kind of hopeless faith that James speaks of in chapter 1? He who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all ways. So the interpreter asks, Well, what was it then, dear heart? What was it that caused you to seek the pilgrimage? And so Mercy tells him the story of when she and Mrs. Timorous dropped by Christiana's house after hearing she was leaving to follow in her husband's footsteps. Mercy tells him that upon hearing of Christiana's dreams of her husband and the blessed land in which he now lives, and of her invitation and conviction, upon hearing all of that, said she, my heart burned within me, and that, if it be true, I will leave my father and mother in the land of my nativity and will, if I may, go along with Christiana. Now, Mercy then tells the interpreter that she asked Christiana to tell her more of these things, and if she would allow her to go with her, because she too feared the inevitable destruction of their town. But she also confesses that it was with heavy heart that she left, heavy because so many of her relations were left behind. She ends by telling the interpreter, actually asking him that, now with all the desire of my heart, and if I may, I yearn to go with Christiana to meet Christian's king. Amen. In response to all of this, the interpreter tells her, Thy setting out is good, for thou hast given credit to the truth. And he says, Thou art a Ruth. And isn't that a marvelously apt description of this young woman? As was Ruth, mercy is both humble and giving. And of course, you know the story of Ruth, a young woman who devoted herself to her mother-in-law after her husband died. A woman who, as Scripture tells us, left her father and mother in the land of her birth and came to a people she did not know. And now this is also true for mercy, isn't it? Well, supper is over now and our pilgrims prepare for bed. And as it turns out, Mercy had a most restful night, but it wasn't because of sleep. No, in fact, she couldn't sleep because she was overflowing with joy. Her doubts and her fears now seemed far away as she lay there blessing and praising God for the favor he had shown upon her. Amen. Let us remember what the Lord himself tells us in Matthew eleven twenty-eight thirty: Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Now as our pilgrims prepare to depart, anxious to be on their way, there are, 
as was true for Christian's journey in Part 1, a few more things. First, they need a bath. Now, some commentators have called this a baptism. The bath here is a symbol of sanctification, that is, a symbol of making or declaring them holy. In all of this, realize that Bunyan is not declaring that water immersion or baptism by water is in any way sanctifying or that it is necessary for salvation. In fact, in other writings, he declares this is only an outward sign and that what's actually required is baptism by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, after they returned from the bath, the interpreter looked approvingly upon them and said they were now, quote, fair as the moon. Then he called for the seal, and with that seal he set a mark right between their eyes. This symbolizes the contents and the sum of the Passover, which God's children ate when the Lord's mighty hand brought them out of Egypt. That is, when he redeemed them. Amen. It's a reminder of that time and an obligation to keep God's work on your tongue, or as the text is written, a memorial between thine eyes that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth. Amen. For us, it's the sealing of the Holy Spirit, confirming our faith and initiating our hope. And don't be misled by certain commentators. Bunyan has not changed the message. There is no free ride, for we have been saved to do good works, as both James and Paul repeatedly remind us. The narrow way remains narrow, and it will get narrower as the end of the age draws near. And our trials will continue until we pass through the city's gate, and we are, as Paul affirms, to glory in those trials. And finally, salvation is still a journey and not a decision. Well, now the interpreter provides garments for the journey ahead. Bunyan describes it as white raiment or clothing and then commanded them to put it on. At this, Christiana and Mercy were each struck at the gloriousness of the other, but unable to see it in themselves, and thus said to each other, you are fairer than I, or you are more comely than I. And the children, they were amazed what a wonderful example, isn't it, of humility, seeing the best in others, seeing God's work shine in others, and all the while not having to brag or justify your own by engaging in some form of self-righteousness. We must learn to see others as God sees them, loved ones. O oh, Father, empty our hearts of pride and fill them with humility. Amen. As we draw the curtains closed on this section, let me add another comment or two on mercy. Others have written that she is the most lovely of all the characters in the second part, and that with the utmost simplicity, Bunyan has given us the most finished portrait of womanly excellence. And by this character, mercy, Bunyan has laid Christian maidenhood under as deep an obligation as he has laid Christian matronhood by his character of Christiana. Godly examples, both of them. Now, in concluding the lesson, let us give thanks to the Lord. O oh, Father, you are our living God, the one above all others. You are the Alpha and the Omega, 
thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for the ears to hear and the eyes to see. Thank you for the strength you give us to face the evil that surrounds us and to continue to sow in your fields. Let us remember, Father God, that your word is immutable, that you are God of the mountain and the valley, God of the night and the day. And Father, when we cannot see your purposes, let us stand upon your promises. And all of God's people said, Amen. In our next lesson, we'll be discussing none other than great heart, and by extension also the cross, being justified by Christ and seeing sloth and his companions hung. You will recall that sloth and his companions were all characters in part one. Now until then, loved ones, may the Comforter be with you always to guide you in the way that leads to the city. Mm-hmm.